Welcome to Talking Um Uh Jimmy Stewart, the podcast where we talk to people who knew Mr. Stewart or were influenced by his life and career. This episode's guest knew him very well because she's one of his daughters, Judy Stewart, and she helped name this podcast. We sat down with Judy inside a hotel conference room before the 2015 Harvey Award from the Jimmy Stewart Museum, so once again you'll hear a little bit of commotion outside during the first part of the interview. But let me set this up for you a bit better. I had met Judy and Kelly at the Harvey Award ceremony honoring Carol Burnett, where I talked briefly with all three of them. The next year I invited along one of my oldest friends, Michael Hutton, who had put visiting the Jimmy Stewart Museum on his bucket list. Michael and I had a fun time traveling to Indiana, Pennsylvania and interviewing Jim Caviezel and then Judy. What we didn't expect was to get to spend almost an entire Saturday with Judy. It started with lunch and then we got to walk through every part of the museum with her and hear story after story about her parents, her sister Kelly and brothers Michael and Ron, as well as her sons. Afterwards, we even drove her in our rental car back to the hotel. We had a lot of laughs and felt like we became good friends with a very warm and engaging person. The only bad part was the realization afterwards that we probably should have been recording everything. Through the course of the day, so much of what I had planned to talk to Judy about for the podcast came out in natural conversation. So when it came time to record, well, we retreaded a lot of it anyway, and we got some wonderful insights into her family and home life. Enjoy. Well, Dad, we, we used to call Dad the urban legend because we always felt he was everyone's dad, not just ours. And But Dad was one of the silliest, wonderful people to have his father. Once Mom, in the dining room, decided, in the breakfast room, sorry, decided to get one of those round tables that you spin, but she wouldn't get it till Kelly and I, my twin sister Kelly, were old enough to actually not go free. So finally, we were age 14, mom felt that that was okay. So we got this, and it was so much fun. It was Lazy Susan, that was the name oh, of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. So it was able to move, and you can you know, get the marmalade or whatever it was you needed. And so one night, mom had just redecorated the breakfast room and we were having lamb with this plum and mint sauce but it wasn't us who turned the table I saw dad's eye sort of glint and he just sort of I saw him go just move the table slightly and then he spun that little mother and oh my god the, the thing flew off right onto the wall and just dripped down the wall. And Mom said, oh, Jimmy. <laughs> it wasn't us she had to worry about. It was Dad. So he was silly like that. Made us laugh so hard. And the tone that she has endured that over and over, just the way she says that, oh, Jimmy, something, or, or, you know, something you would do. Or the fact that he would tell a joke and it would go on for 20 minutes when it was a five-minute joke and Mom would say, today, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so you shared with us earlier about like a bedtime ritual, which I was fascinated by. We loved Dad coming in, which wasn't often. You see, Dad was gone a lot. In those days, they had they were on set for three months. It wasn't like today. I mean, they were gone for a long time. And right. Mom would often go with them. We were brought up by French-Canadian governess, if you can imagine that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, she... But, but uh, so, Dad used to come in, though, when he was home. And he had this story that he started, and it was about this giant tarantula on this island called Ping Pong Boy. And I don't know how he The tarantula's name is Ping Pong Boy. Ping Pong Boy. Boy. And he would start with, there were holes in the beach, unlike footprints, just holes, and they couldn't figure out what it was. Good night, girls. <laughs> and then he would come back like three days later and say, but the holes led to something and would go on and on and it was we loved it so much that's wonderful yeah so he what, was a little angry and, 
Hell yeah. He also played, he also did this thing with us called Krabby, where he would put us on his lap and go, pinch, just Krabby. And we loved it. Oh my God. We just adored it. Probably had bruises all over our bodies. Send you both into giggling fits. Oh yeah. I mean, Dan was very silly. Uh, I got not, not surprised. Really, yes, really <laughs> silly. But he could be, you know, very serious. Very, he was very quiet. He was often rehearsing his lines. You didn't disturb him then, because I could see his when he was moving his lips. We didn't go and interrupt him. That was him memorizing something. Well, he took that very seriously, and other actors noted that he was always prepared. Yep. Well, you know, when he, 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 Dad was very, very, very wonderful with new people who, or, or, or younger people who were coming in. And one of the things, he, when he started losing his hearing, he would not ever tell the other person to speak up because he said Marlon Brando started the whole thing. He never moved his lips. And Dad, red lips. When he started losing his hearing, so one of his was start talking like this, and you just don't move your lips, and you know it's sort of like you can't read lips. So, right. that you know it was, and he could, you can't tell the actor to speak up. You know that just doesn't work. So this is. That's how they compensate. He said actors don't die. You know, actors don't. No, no, actors don't retire. They die. And, you know, loss of hearing to dad was a type of death. Like when he just couldn't hear at all. Mm. How did how did that hearing loss begin? Because I was surprised to learn that a lot of uh, a lot of that came from It's a Wonderful Life and that dive into the water. Somebody said that actually It was the war. Those guns. I mean, in those bomber planes. I mean, yeah. It but I have it. I'm losing, well, as you could tell, losing my hearing. And I have terrible tinnitus, which Dad had. Mm. So it is genetic. And Mike has it, too, my brother. Does he? Even though he's not, he's Mom's son, not Dad's. He still has tinnitus. <laughs> oh, unfortunate. Oh, I know. It's, it, you know what I hear? When it rains, I hear opera. Really? But at least I hear opera. But it's, it's an opera I've never heard before. Wow, that's write music. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> you're a you're a family of animal lovers. Yes. Um, dogs are associated with your dad because of the Absolutely. poem "Bow." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, many people know about that. There was an actual bow. Mm-hmm. Right. What time frame was that? This was in the '80s. Okay. Yeah. When Bow was uh, and and dead. I don't know what it was. You know, that dog, he was six months old. Now, it was before the 80s, when he was a puppy. Hmm. You know, when I, in the okay. 80s, he was older. When he was a puppy, it was, it was the 70s. And I remember t- trying to take an avocado out of his mouth when he was six months old, and he attacked me. And I said, Dad, there's something. I mean, golden retrievers don't do this. And Dad said, oh, I'll, I'll take care of it. Well, Bo became his favorite dog. And, and he had scars all over his hand from you know, playing with Bo in the bedroom. But his poem, I it was about a lot of things, yeah, more than Bo. And, but he adored that dog, just adored that dog. Because the dog would take, once a dog from across the street, this is fascinating, we had a gate, and it had about a three-inch opening. One of those black gates, you know, decorative. And the dogs would stick their nose through. And one day, the dog from across the street, which was like a husky mix, came across and grabbed Bo's nose hmm. and ripped it. Whoa. He had to go to the vet. So Mom and I watched from actually my brother's window, which got the best views. Um, Dad walking across the street to have a little talk with the people who own the dog. And Mom said, just watching Dad's back was terrifying. Mom said, I wouldn't like to be those people right now. (laughs) He was, you know, Dad's whole, Dad was amazing in his, 
slight body movements. He never moved his hands. You notice in movies, he never, very rarely moved his hands. Like people flap their hands. He didn't do that. He never moved his hands. And he, he would stand very still when he was saying something. He didn't have to move, you know, to, and his, but his back would change. Uh, I remember going to see Ron's name on the Vietnam Memorial. Mm-hmm. And mom wouldn't go. Um, my sister said she went and didn't. She said, don't worry, Judy, you'll be fine. It's not that big a deal. But I watched dad's whole body changed as he walked towards the wall. And I have never had a reaction like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I... I have lost it, and for I, I was we were there for four days in Washington, and Mom kept sending me back to the room because I kept losing it. I've never been that devastated. Dad mm. touched Ron's name and then just left me, and or just stood there and let me. You know, and it was, but bo- Dad's body folded as he walked towards and got smaller with grief, and oh. it just. It killed me. Saddest thing I've ever seen. And he visited regularly. He did. Like he, once a he year? He adored Ron, and Ron adored him and just wanted to be a hero. That's why he joined the Marines. He wanted Dad to look at him and say, you're my hero. Ron was always my hero, but it wasn't enough. He wanted Dad to say, you're my hero. Hmm. What are, what are some of your favorite memories about Ron? Oh. Uh, Holding me over the fire in Africa and burning off the you know, pockets on my blue jeans, <laughs> hitting me with a puppet when I wouldn't, you know, when I kept stopping his car on a racetrack. Oh, let's see, other thing. Ron was my always my. From day one, I was always holding Ron's hand, sitting on Ron's lap, and Kelly was always sitting at Mike. So, no one talked about it. It just happened. Oh wow! Oh, I loved Ron. I loved Ron. And you know, it's hard when you go from four to three. You always feel like sort of like the third wheel mm. a little bit because the people who are the two, like Mike and Kelly, form a bond like Ron and I had. Ron died. It was, you know, I was the third wheel because I hadn't formed that bond that Kelly and Mike had. And it's, it's hard to get back into the loop. Mm. It really is. Right. Well, you talked a little bit about your home life, and I think a lot of people would be curious about how do you how do you live day to day if your parents are gone for a long period of time because your mother would join your dad on set oh yeah. you said it might be three months at a time oh yeah um did you see your parents a lot growing up or how did well, how not, did that work not really they were you know my memories growing up are mostly of Mimselle, who was our governess mm-hmm. and Mimselle and i didn't get along Kelly got along with Mimselle. For some reason, Mimselle and I just didn't hit it off. I don't know what. But I, Ma, I remember, I used to have, which still do, I used to have terrible nightmares. And I remember having a nightmare that Mom and Dad were crucified when I was seven years old. Wow. <laughs> and... Mimzel was walking between their crosses with two suitcases and mom was saying to me who was behind Mimzel saying it's not that bad honey it's not that bad and I ended up with my head on the floor my body on the bed screaming for mom and then I came to and realized that mom was way across the hallway and I have to walk that dark hallway to get to her so I sort of went Mimselle <laughs> even though I wanted mom hmm. it was a tough dream oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely wow. sorry I don't know where that came from well, no, I'm curious though is was there any resentment not having your dad around or your mom or both no no okay no I've never uh, no not at all and just something I you, think you there were might used be to with my brother my brothers that they you know, they were sort of, when we arrived, it was sort of the princesses had arrived. Mm-hmm. And they were sort of shuttled to military academy, and, you know, like Dad had gone, you know, Mercesburg, and my brothers hated it. You know, so, you know, it wasn't, except Ron went to 
of this place he loved, Orm Ranch, that um, because he was a cowboy from day one, and because we had this ranch in Nevada, and he was oh my, he was a cowboy, he was a hero cowboy. That's all I could say. Wow. So, but Mike, Mike, you know, really suffered at Mercersburg. He was a, you know, it was a military academy, so you can imagine a conscientious objector at a military academy it was not a good mix. Oh. Mm. But so, but we, you know, were the precious one, and and I think I don't know how our brothers even loved us <laughs> with that going on. Michael talked about it with me, say, well, once the princesses came along, yeah. Oh, so he'll say, but there's always a little edge behind the fun, and I think Ron, as I said, just wanted to be a hero to Dad. Mm. He wanted, he was. Yeah, he was the biggest hero of all. Mm. One of the, one of my favorite exhibits at the museum, and it was so great to walk through that with you today. And and I, w- I was taken by just the joy you have, and you've seen it how many times, and it's as if you're seeing it for the first time. It, yeah. That was so much fun. But it's great to hear the love you obviously had for your parents and, and your brothers and how that just kind of came through all day it's just it was great it was I could talk it about just... it forever <laughs> honestly it's it was our childhood was wonderful really when people ask me how was it was growing up it was great um, you know it, it, the fact that they weren't there didn't affect us um, you know when you if you go into you know, some sort of philosophy you, you that it might have affected me more Kelly you know that type of thing because I was always the rebel blah blah no, it doesn't matter in the end. They were, they were great. Would you say when they were there, they were really there? They were though? wonderful. They were really there. They yeah. watched us have do these plays until Mom finally said, Dinner. Yeah. <laughs> but we, oh, my God, we performed plays almost every night. We wrote them and directed them and were in them. And so um, Mom, but they, they watched. They were wonderful. They were so patient with us. And Mom taught us to dance at our ranch and... She was wonderful. She was so bright and alive. And, you know, Dad was a little slower than Mom, and Mom was so vital. Um, well, and, and 10 years younger, so that was a part of it. She yeah. was 10 years oh, younger yeah. than your dad. And what's amazing to me is your dad gets married at age 41, but then is married for 45 years. Yeah. I mean, that, that is amazing. What's amazing to me is my son David, who looks exactly like Dad, yeah, has a girlfriend now who, who's ten years younger. Than oh. Wow, <laughs> she's twenty three and she is so hot. <laughs> <laughs> but she's she's almost six feet, and David's six four, and she's just we have so much fun together. Oh, great! But it's um, interesting that it sort of runs a family. I, when I married, my husband was ten years older. <laughs> all right, so where I was going, I'm sorry, Michael, you're about no, to I'm jump sorry. in with a question. All right, you'll follow me. Um, one of my favorite exhibits was 918, and I just love seeing that side I, of your family. I, I have a very funny story I just thought of. We used to get a lot of tourists that go in front of the house in 918. Yeah. And, I mean, some of them would come up to the door. One woman came up to the door once and rang the doorbell. My sister answered. She said... She was chewing gum. She said, hi, is Jimmy home? And Kelly said, well, no, no, he's he's not. Okay, can I come in and look around? Kelly said, well, no. And she said, I understand. You like your privacy. Okay, well, tell Jimmy I came by. This woman had to be like all of 20. So. But we would get buses that would go by and have tons of people on them. The bus would lean. And in fact, one of the, our nannies, when we were very young, our first one, Wilson, who was bald, by the way, <laughs> she would wheel us out, wheel us out to the street and had a deal with the drivers that she would say, Judy weighs so-and-so, Kelly weighs so-and-so, Judy's this tall, and Dad found out about it and fired Wilson. Then we got Mimzel. So anyway... Um, Dad once, there was a family that arrived in a car, and they put a picnic thing out on the front lawn. And they all gathered around it, and they were having lunch, you know, just 
on our front lawn. On your front lawn. Um, and Dad went behind the, the house and turned on the sprinklers. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have to go out and say anything. <laughs> it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I, I, I'm fascinated that you always lived in that house. Um, a couple things. First, and, and you spoke a little bit about that, but like security would be way different today. You probably live in a gated community and... But what was it like day to day? I mean, did you have people just always ringing the doorbell? We didn't even have a security system for right. years. It was just open door almost. And until one Christmas, and this was, oh, years ago, so long ago, one Christmas, $25 was stolen off the table that they left for the mailman. This is how long ago it was. That's all you left for the mailman, okay? <laughs> or or I, I forget who it was, for, but... Um, um, it was a little uh, black boy who just grabbed it. I don't know how he got in or whatever. After that, Dad had this system put in that was just horrifying from someone like me who would creep outside. Woo! Woo! And <laughs> he, I mean, he would lock the door behind me when I went out to take the dog out and I couldn't get back in. Particularly, it was difficult when they named the dogs Judy and Kelly, their last set of retrievers. So Dad would call, Judy! And I'd come racing from, from wherever I was, and Dad said, oh, calling the dog. <laughs> Did they was a, ask permission from no, you and your sister? No, what Was no, that no. a... No, no, no. Was no, there no, some no. statement he was trying to make by naming the dogs? I didn't get to sleep in their bed. Like the dogs did, but that was about, you know, you know, a therapist once asked me, what do you feel about that? I said, why do you get to sleep in their bed? What do you mean, what do I feel about it? <laughs> bark? Do you want me to bark? <laughs> but it was very funny. Dad locked the doors so much after that and had such a tight security system that when he died and all the photographers were outside, lined up and saying, we're sorry... We loved him. We're sorry. We were very gracious and stood in front, told him, you know, what happened, what time, and everything. Then we, I think, Kelly, Mike, and I walked away very gracefully up to the house and stood there and tried the doorknob, and it was locked. And yeah. all of us went, God, Dad. <laughs> so we had to ring the doorbell of our own house <laughs> to get back in. <laughs> what was the, what was your question? Well, we had talked in the car, and I said, would you call yourself a daddy's girl? And I really enjoyed your, your answer. So I wanted you to bring that to us again in the interview. Well, I think I Kelly was the daddy's girl because Kelly was easier. Um, but Kelly was the one who came up with all the ideas that I would carry out, and I would, of course, be, you did that, but that's Kelly's idea. <laughs> but, but Kelly was... Um, she always knew what she wanted. She, she was easy. She was a very, you know, she knew what she wanted. She knew what mom and dad wanted. She just knew. And I was given a book when I was born that had empty pages, I'll tell you. And it's sort of like, find out on your own, honey. So I think it was more difficult. I was a very um, difficult growing up. Yeah. I had, you know, you know sort of very difficult. Hmm. Still am. <laughs> there, uh, right, I think you have hungry. a minute. If we have any amount of time later, it'd be great just to Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm around. I'm not doing anything. I'll ask one quick wow. thing, though, real quick. All right. Okay, so who, just about your house, all right, who made these statements? It looks like a dormitory. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't at all. Okay, so I understand. You mean our, you mean our house growing up? Right. Oh, and, my God. Yeah. People had these rooms spread out all over the place. All right, the I understand are lined up. your yeah. mother said that when they were house shopping, and your dad said, well, that's what we need, isn't it? And she agreed. Oh, you sound like agreed. Dad. <laughs> I've been, I've been hearing you all day, and you do that, the that best. Great. You do the best that Jimmy really impersonation. Good. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't say that lightly. All right, who said, <laughs> thank you very much, who said this? All right. Comfortable as Jimmy with a splash of style thrown in by Gloria. Absolutely. Who would have said that statement? And that's true, you're telling me. Connie that. Wald, maybe? 
of, of their very close friends. Very close. Yes. One of their very close friends. Maybe said, one of Jimmy's oldest friends. One of your dad's oldest friends. Gary Cooper? It was Henry Hank Fonda. Fa- Hank. Hank said Hank Fa- that. I was yep. going to say yep. that. Right okay. After. And then belonging to a Mediterranean style of ugly. <laughs> um, who would have said that? I, I could give you a hint, but it'll totally give, give it away. Give belonging to a Mediterranean style of ugly. That was your father. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he really thought that? <laughs> My impersonation wasn't as good that but time, he obviously. Really thought that the house? I think that sounded like a, a joking statement he, he would have made. Said, he said that about the house next door. Oh, he did? Well, hey, my, maybe house. my research is yeah, poor. Yeah, that's wrong. All right, we'll look that into that. He about the house next door that he bought to rip down. And, well, that sounds, that yeah, sounds it was, right. It wasn't our house. He All right, good to know. Yeah, it was the house next door that he ripped down and they put in a huge guard. He said, it looks like a Mediterranean nightmare or something <laughs> to that effect. And All the right. guy who owned the house said about Dad's house, they're finally going to buy my house and rip that monstrosity down and move into mine. So it was so funny to hear the two. Okay, at this point in the conversation, we were needing to get to the award presentation, so we arranged to meet up again. The next morning, Michael and I met with Judy around a coffee table in her hotel room where she shared some family photos with us. Now, I figured without seeing the photos, that part might be kind of lost on you. But hang on after the closing music, and you can hear a snippet from it. Here we go, picking up from the second part of our conversation with Judy. My friend, Robin, um, who also works for me, my best friend, she, mm-hmm. she's been at me her, for ages to put the book together. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to do is I've got all the poems. I just have to put them together. Yeah. And I do it like the way Dad did his book, yeah. which was the anecdote about why the poem was written. Like I wrote a poem about an empty chair, the lament of the empty chair, as a, an apology when I didn't make it to this event. And it was from the view of the chair. You know, come sit on me. We're so alone. You know, yeah. I'm so alone, and you know, the, the the man besides me, so undone. You know that type of thing. So um, I even wrote about a um, a worm that attaches to goldfish heads, <laughs> and it, it's it's How this cool. horrible little thing that yeah. lies on the bottom of the tank and just waits for its opportunity because uh, it's a little bacteria and it, it bores uh-huh. its way into. Indeed. And I wrote it oh, from wow. the view of the, the worm that does this. And it, it's, it was just wonderful poem, my favorite, actually. I, I think you have all the poems done, and you can illustrate. Yes. That's, that's what, that's what yes, held, really. holds a lot of people back, is you, know, you have to collaborate. You've got it all. Yeah, I, I, you know, cause I, so I could, enter, you know, because I know exactly, I, I have the picture in my head of yeah. what would go along with each poem. Yeah. It's just sitting down for long enough to do it. Yeah. And oh, that's also, your next thing. And if we can help, just yeah, you can maybe help, if it's a matter of just get it out. Yeah, you know? or, or just a matter of talking to somebody and getting that encouragement and focus because that's, that's that's what great. that's what holds yeah. me back. Also, you, got the, the, you have the, the talent, encouragement, and also the you know confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So oh, holds well, me back, I've, back I've been struck by your talent this weekend. Oh, thank you. Sure. You'll have to read some of those poems, maybe for posterity here. If you or we, we can, you can hold on to them for publication, but that might be. You no, know, that would be you know the great is you know if I could get them all together typed. Yeah. Yeah, you know, on on my computer. Yeah. Because they're random right now. They're all if they're in all different they're, places. All right, well, you might get pretty pretty in one pretty much in one place. Oh really? Uh, in folders. The yes. folders are in a couple of different places, but it's pretty much along with my drawings and stuff in one place. So it's just taking that from, you know, the places on napkins and stuff where it's written to put it all together in a computer is yeah. what right. yeah. needs to be done. I'm not getting encouraging email from one of us and saying, Yes, right, you well, have my today. You yes. have I, Michael has it, so I have to get it. Yeah, great. Okay, okay, so earlier we were talking about your house, and I wanted to pick up from there. And I I heard a story. Well, first, I think you were quoted saying your parents 
raising that house next door and putting a garden there was the best thing that they ever did. Oh, by far. And I understand they gave vegetables to neighbors, oh, Jack after, Benny, Lucille uh, Ball. Yes, <laughs> um, Hank Fonda used to come to the house because he raised uh, bees. Yeah. So he would bring over honey. And I remember listening to a, I will call it a non-conversation between Hank and Dad. This is, this is how they communicated. The doorbell rang. I answered the door. He said, Jim home? I said, just a minute. I got Dad. Dad said, Hank? Hank said, Jim? Dad had a handful of tomatoes, and they exchanged it. And Hank said, Jim? And... Dad's Hank, and we walked away. <laughs> <laughs> what all wow. needs to be said. <laughs> there was a quote by Peter Fonda that said, Once Dad and Hank were together in the garage building a model airplane for him, and he said it took about three hours to put together, and the only word that passed between them was, Jim, have you seen... G11, you know, all yeah. the parts are labeled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. For three hours. <laughs> Amazing. And people, what? that's the best kind of friend that you don't have to say anything. You can just enjoy each other's company and there's not that need to fill in the no, silence. No, I once asked Dad, gee, what happened, you know, to Hank's first wife, you know, Jane's mom, because she yeah. slashed her throat in the bathtub. Uh, oh, oh. And I, Dad said, oh, honey, we don't talk about things like that. Yeah. I wanted to say, what do you talk about? G11. Or once I said, once I asked him, which actress was his favorite? And he said, Oh, I got all dewy-eyed when he said, Well, Marlena Dietrich was pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, How neat. Yeah, he did, he did, he did get his eyes sort of got glistened, and you know, she really had a thing for her. Um, I think she was, wasn't she in Destry Rides again? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which was kind of a comeback for her, right? She had kind of gone away for a little bit or fallen and out then, of favor yeah, or something. And and she was, but she was so dead, really. She was a beauty in his eyes. And yeah. He didn't talk about anybody else because he you know, loved mom so, so focused. Mom was so beautiful, I mean. Yeah, right. It was hard to get dewy-eyed over except for Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> yeah. And I guess he and Hank, when they first moved to Beverly Hills, this is how the story goes from, from Dad. Um... They tried. They got very, very drunk. But I had tried to dig a tunnel to underneath Greta, to Greta Garbo's when she was their neighbor, underneath her wall. And Dad said they got as far, which I find a little hard to believe. They got as far as the rhododendron bush, which was <laughs> got in their way, and they gave up the digging. <laughs> And Dad, that we, is amazing. Mom, Dad would say, "Well, you tell a story," and let's just say he made the facts a little more colorful than the mm. story actually was. <laughs> and Mom would say, oh, "Honey, that isn't—that's not how it went." And, and Dad would say, "Oh, well, I like my version better." <laughs> <laughs> Must say, so did I. You know? <laughs> It kind of evolves over time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. My fish that I caught, this catfish I caught in Africa, went from what it was, 25 pounds to in the hundreds. Last time I heard the story, it was 125 pounds. <laughs> we had to eat. <laughs> We've talked about a few things that dealt with your dad's thriftiness and oh. like driving the same car forever, that kind of thing. That Volvo. Clean jacket. That. You know, he, yeah. he drove it until it actually. And it was still in the garage at his death. He drove that car till it actually stopped in the middle of the road, just gave up the ghost. Oh, wow. And the police came and saved him. You know, we didn't have cell phones in those days. And yeah. police, uh, you know, found him just sort of sitting in his car um, and, uh, you know, took him back home. The Volvo sat in the garage forever. Wow. Never moved, never, never got fixed. Just yeah, sat there. <laughs> Sounds like he got attached to things. Yes, he did. Yeah, he, and, and like the tweed jacket. Yeah, 
in every photo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, a thrill of my life, getting to try that oh, jacket see, off. And you yeah. looked so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was amazing. Okay, earlier you talked about going to the Academy Awards with your dad. I think there's a picture of you and your sister from 1967. Oh, wasn't that a charmer? <laughs> it's beautiful. You oh, both, really? You both looked radiant. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought we yeah. looked like little chubbettes. <laughs> well, like you're always hard to Everybody goes through what one about of those. Sixteen, yeah, that yeah. awkward, we, yeah. that awkward yeah. stage where you no, haven't lost you the baby fat the, yet, which yeah. I real, as you can see at fourteen, I didn't have <laughs> the well, right, right. And then we went away to Switzerland. Mom set us away because we we had a little clique in, in Westlake School for Girls. Dad called it the Westlake Mafia, and there were five of us, and we formed this little society. Scum. I was president. Uh, Kelly was vice president, and it was Secret Citizens United Missions. And we would do, well, as an example, this is my first exposure to anorexia, was a girl in our class, and we didn't didn't have a name then, and this is when we were like 12, and this girl went from being quite large to 68 pounds, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was... You know, at that age, you just don't, you watch this, but you don't have a name for it, you don't understand it. But her parents put her on a diet, and she would have, you know, cottage cheese and tomatoes. And then she started getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And then her parents started, you know, making her sandwiches. So she And she'd throw away the sandwich when mm. she got to school. We, thinking we were doing good, would retrieve the sandwich and put it in her desk. So she he she would arrive at her desk and open it and go <laughs> because she had thrown away the sandwich and it ended up back at her desk and we're going <laughs> in the corner. So this is yeah, we thought that was a, a good thing. Yeah. United Missions for the city. Right. This, yeah. You know, this probably really freaked this poor girl oh, out. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's all of a sudden the sandwich Magic is back in again. <laughs> That's the exact opposite effect of oh, <laughs> haunting so, her. But Dad loved, our, Dad loved our friends, but they were wild. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the plum fight team and I had in the, in the breakfast room that Mom had just redone. Never, ever seen Mom that angry. She really? was livid because it, she had just put white walls with these beautiful bamboo curtains, and they were completely plums. You know how what plums do? Yeah, well, how did this get started? Oh, oh Tim and I got into an argument, and there was this, there was fruit on the table, but it happened to be plums on the top, so I grabbed the first thing and aimed it at Tim and hit the wall behind her when she ducked. And <laughs> <laughs> Tim picked one up and so missed. The and purple <laughs> ball. Yeah. Wow. And Bob <laughs> happened to came it, come in, and it was, it was, she was so mad. Whoa. All right. Family friends of your parents, who stands out to you? Who did you enjoy being? Oh, uh, uh, let's see. Gregory Peck. Yeah. I adored. Once mom, I had come back, just come back from Africa with a jet lag and was in bed upstairs. And mom came home and came upstairs and said, I know you're jet lag. Get out of bed and and you got to come down. You can't miss this. So they were all a little buzzed, you know, having been out to dinner. And it was Gregory Peck, Mom, Dad, um, uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, and uh, Hank crew. Fonda. And they were all, and the wives, and they were all pretty, you know, happy. And <laughs> all downstairs. And so it was wonderful. And I went, I said to Frank Sinatra, I said, oh, you don't know. We only have. I only have one of your tapes, but we listened to it. It's it's now come on thread. But we had a, rec- I had a recorder, and I brought it to Africa, and we would play that tape every night. Um, one of Frank Sinatra's albums, and the next day he sent me every single one of his tapes. Wow! And, which I brought to Africa, wow. but he was you know known for his generosity like that. Yeah. I said, "Are you guys really really good friends?" Mom said. Let me put it like this, honey. We're as good friends as you want to be with Frank. <laughs> 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 That's as much as I ever knew. Yeah. yeah. 
But it was yeah. quite a gathering. Gregory Peck was so wonderful. He was, I was holding him. He started crying about his his son who committed suicide, uh-huh. and he was sobbing in my arms. And I was like, "Wow, this is a moment I'm going to remember forever." Oh, wow, I can imagine. It was he was he was just able to open up to you. He was that night. Yeah. yeah. And I dated his son for a while, and I, he really I think wanted wanted picture us together because he really liked me yeah and I adored him so much more than I liked his son oh yeah I was so not part of that crowd it was I I was so awkward the Hollywood crowd and that oh and I'm wearing mom's you know Jeffrey Bean outfit I look like some farm girl from Minnesota you know this flashy (laughs) crowd drinking martinis in these clubs that I'd never been to I've been living in Africa and it was just Dad never exposed us to that part of Hollywood, so I didn't know. I didn't know how to dress. I didn't know how to act. Yeah. I was very awkward. It was, you know, and I was old enough not to be awkward, <laughs> but I was. I was like twenty-one. I was so relieved when I uh, went to Africa with. I mean, went to um, London with Mom. Yeah. You know, at that I think I was twenty-two, and. Um, Dad, spent a year there with Dad doing Harvey, and it was just great. I was safe, hmm. and I, I had, when I was there, I had been working uh, the the summer before, not the summer, sorry, the year before in Nepal, and at Tiger Top Jungle Lodge, and it was so great. I mean, it was so wonderful, and I met a lot of uh, people who were like. Um, a duchess and an earl and you know artists and stuff oh, yeah. and they who lived in London so when I was in London I was introducing mom mom said mom got such a kick of it I was introducing them to lady yeah. this and lady that like lady Egremont who's this wonderful lady who had this castle I used to go stay at all you know butlers and and you know uh, talk about not knowing how to act well um but everything just so English. Everybody, you know, dress up for breakfast. And um, I remember one evening, I there was a man there who owned um, a stomp airplane from the war that is open cockpit. Okay. And I think I had an extra glass of wine the night before, and I said, I love flying an open cockpit. Never having done it before, I just love flying an open cockpit. So this is England. It's winter. Yeah, just freezing. So, at six o'clock the next morning, a knock is on my door, and he said, "Already." So there I find myself in the front seat of an open cockpit airplane that he kept in the backyard. <laughs> and so we took off from this green field over the fence, and then I find myself upside down as he did a loop, and I was holding the, the seat belt that was I was in front of him, and uh-huh. he was in back flying. The seat belt came undone the shoulder strap and I grabbed it and thinking that that's the only thing that was holding me in as I was upside down and my I was holding on so tightly that my hand froze in that position and when we landed he had he and another guy to peel because it was like paralyzed he had to peel my hands off the seatbelt to get me out of the plane (laughs) Wow! and we landed the plane in the back of somebody's garden in somebody's house and went in for a champagne lunch. <laughs> Just got out of the plane. It was amazing. That was an amazing year. Uh, Mom and I went to plays and we would sit and talk and you know, just it was just a great time with mom and dad. And, and just mm-hmm. you, which yes. was unusual. Yes, yeah, yeah. I had it that was, experience. So you got to see your dad on stage in Harvey. You were telling us early earlier uh just about that experience, like sitting in the back and watching yeah. the audience, and, and watching the audience react, and you got a standing ovation every. Oh wow! But it was an exhausting experience. Dad was, Dad was in seventy when he did that, and oh, yeah. it was he was, you know, he did a performance every single night, twice on Wednesdays and Sundays, matinee, back to back, and. He would go up those tiny little English stairs. You have to sort of walk like a duck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, 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 but he just looked absolutely exhausted uh-huh. at the end of the day. You know, it really took a lot out of him because Dad never got over intense stage fright. 
mm-hmm. and he would get sick before every performance, or, you know, almost to throwing up. So this is when uh, this is when I discovered that Mom had no idea what to do with the kitchen. Mm. Dad finally said to me, "Honey, can, can you?" Can you get up and make my breakfast in the morning? I love your mother, but she she just doesn't really <clears throat> make eggs very well. So I guess since I wasn't up when Mom was giving Dad uh, breakfast, I guess the eggs were a little burnt or so. So um, that's what my job was then, making Dad breakfast and his sandwich. Yeah. Also, so I once I made Dad a, a tuna sandwich and I made myself one once and I bit into it and. I guess there'd been a chip on the mayonnaise jar, and so when I bit into it, I nudged Dad, and blood was pouring out of my mouth because oh there was a goodness. piece of glass in it. And I said, oh. "Don't eat your sandwich." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the was—I mean, it looked like a bus accident. Everybody makes like, their tuna different, and some people put broken glass in there. Yeah, <laughs> celery and apples. And I said, but but a piece of glass that was interesting. But Ouch. instead of Dad, Dad burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> frantic. I was going. I hit that thing. So, gosh, it's like I have a horror was, movie. It was so much fun, to, you know, to spend that amount of time. And then Mom and I once, just once per summer, we put Dad in the Connaught Hotel and took off for London. I mean, took off for Africa. Sorry, mm-hmm. we were in London. And um, and Mom and I went on safari together, and that was great fun. Mm. Just wow. us. Oh yeah, really fun. Mm. That's when I discovered that Mom snored. So the first night we were in, out in a tent, and Mom would snore. I'd go <coughs> to get her to roll over. Finally, three in the morning, Mom said, "If you clear your throat one more time, I'm going to come over there and hit you." <laughs> the next day, there was a tent for me and a tent for Mom. <laughs> she had broken her back, so she slept on her back. Oh, how did she break her back? Um, I, you know, I, she fell, and oh. uh, it, it actually, I think she won't. You know, it, this guy thinking it was funny pulls her chair out from her at a dinner, mm-hmm. and you know, in other words, she sat down on the floor. Yeah, just boom. You know, just as a joke, it yeah. wasn't funny. It was one of those things that really, really was oh. a disaster. I think that's when she heard it originally, and then she slipped or something on the stair, and I didn't see this, but this is what. Uh, and then it, so it, I don't know. She wasn't in a cast or anything, but she, when she, you say break a back, you know that's just to get to the story. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. I don't know if it was bulging disc or what. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But but she was from then on. She after the accident, she would sleep on her back. And uh-huh. snore. Dad slept like I sleep, curled up, and curled he, up. he never moved from that position. Uh-huh. I thrashed, but but I always go back to the curled up position. But Mom slept on her back. Uh-huh. And you think Dad would be the one to snore because a guy usually does? Yeah. Mom, nope. uh-huh. beautiful, delicate mom. More <laughs> 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 like a truck driver. <laughs> How did he maintain being kind of a small town guy in an uptown world? He never moved from the town, I don't think, really in his mind. He, which sort of made him what he is. He's. I read his diary, part of it from the war, and there was a particular story in there that really got me, and it, it was sort of depressing because he, in the he would have these drawings of his squadron in the war mm-hmm. and then the next page would be X's over all the planes that would, didn't come back mm-hmm. but no words just the drawings but you could just tell how that how, it, how he felt it was just I don't know it was really sad to look, you know go through it I mean it would be like one thing one return you know and mm-hmm. so really that Dad dreamt of the war a lot, and Mom said he would make sounds like machine guns and yelling and no, things like that in his sleep. Yeah, so right. the war really affected him. I think gotcha. he felt more, he felt prouder of the war than anything he did in films. 
that was his that was his meaning. To right. him, acting was just a job. It was job, and the fan part just came along with the job. Right. But the war was something he took great pride in, and um, more than his acting. He, right. he always thought, he never understood the fuss. Yeah, I'm just doing my job, is what he'd say all the time to me. And I think part of it was, it, it, it made his father proud of him, even mm -hmm. though his father would not tell him more than the acting, because he, he didn't believe in acting. He thought that wasn't a job, that was just nonsense, mm. that he'd grow out of when he got, you know, he started out in architecture, Dad, you could build anything. And then he got introduced by Josh Logan to acting, and that was that, that's how it started, the, you know, um, the club he was in, Princeton. Yeah. And, um, you know, from then, I was, they, as they say, it's history, <laughs> you yeah. know, just took over. but. His father never acknowledged him acting. Yeah. I mean, when Dad won the Oscar, he put it in his window, hardware store window. Yeah. That's sort of only yeah. had the only thing. But didn't understand the significance of it, really. No. I understand he said, but I hear you won some kind of award. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, he made light of it. He just didn't make Dad feel that he was and worth, you know, I, I, in the story that I read in his diary, really brought this. He It was when he first joined the Air Force and because he was already an actor, well known, and he, they, uh, the brass, as they say, allowed him to take his parents out to Chasen's for dinner. So they gave him leave for wh wh where he was um, based when he first joined. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this um, during the course of dinner, this man came up and said, you know, so wanted to meet Dad, shake his hand, and said, I thought you were in the Air Force. And his father said to him, yeah, Jim, I thought you were too. And Dad wrote, the shame I felt, and I never took advantage of doing that again. Now, the fact that Dad had taken his parents out because he thought they would love it. Mm. He did it as a gesture, and the fact that his father shamed him by saying that so intently broke my heart when I read it. Mm. So his father was like that. Never gave his approval at all. Yeah. 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 It was wanting to live up to something that you couldn't. You know, that there was, you know, you couldn't live up to it. Was that difficult for him to make that decision to I just think go so. and pursue acting? I, th I think it I'm really. I'm certain that would be really. But it was hard such work. a passion of his, and then to find out that his father thought it was garbage was just—I really think it affected him all his life that he never felt good enough. I think that's what caused his depression later on. He never lived up to his father's. What his father never said, "I love you. I'm so proud of you." your acting career. Mm -hmm. You know, at the least, so many other people appreciate it. You know, somebody said the other yeah. day in a in a post online that he was given so much and he used it all so well. Your father. Yeah. Yeah, he, and he but but he never really felt he deserved it. All the accolades. And yeah. I th it, I yeah. think it's based on the one person he wanted all that from, wouldn't give it to him. Hmm. That's just what I feel. I've always felt there was, always felt there was a sadness about Dad that, you know, um, I think I, I, I drew a picture once of the family and it was Mom laughing in the chair with the dogs around her. There was Kelly and Mike and Ron playing a board game. And there was a dad facing away, pouring everybody drinks at the bar. And his, I, I would, I drew little sort of notations around him, like his shoulders were laughing, mm -hmm. but he, you couldn't see his face. And it was sort of like dad was there, but sometimes not. Because he was, you know, he, he his lips were always moving when he would go through the house, like he was memorizing lines. Yeah. So 
Mm. It was a presence, but not sometimes. <clears throat> and I just, you know, when Dad was just alone sometimes, it, it, I always just felt sad. It just made me sad when he was alone. I think that was just because I, there's a sense of that in Dad. Mm. That's why he gets to me so much in movies. Yeah. yeah. Even comedies, I mean, I find myself crying at because there's just a, a touch there. Just. Do you think that's what was, was behind his drive to be and was so successful? I, I don't think Dad really um, expected to be this yeah. successful. You know, he. Yeah. As he as I said, it was just. I mean, he really felt that he 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 wasn't pretend. He wasn't being humble for the sake of being humble. Even though Mom would joke and said sometimes he takes it a little far, like not getting a limo for the. Right. Going not, to the Oscar party, and driving his Volvo, and mom's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, and I remember mom. He was doing an interview, and he said, when they asked what he did during the day when he wasn't working, dad said, "Oh, I putter around the garden and you know take care of the vegetables." And mom said, "He's never puttered in the garden the whole time I had it. It was always mom out there. Yeah. <laughs> dad was in the library next to the fire." Yeah. <laughs> the you talk about him uh, kind of walking around and sort of muttering to himself, and I understand a lot of creative people are just introverted, and they. They do that. They're they're content to be by themselves. Yeah. So I wonder how much of that was sadness, or how much you know, as you, as you proposed, or if it, yeah, he was just sort of in his own mind and and just sort of walking around and not. But he was. I think acting is a very private thing. I mean, you have to memorize your lines and get and be that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And. It was so much dad. His acting was not different. I mean, it wasn't like watching um, somebody change incredibly become somebody else on screen. Dad never was a mean, horrible villain. Uh, right. You know, so it was, I mean, he was what he was at home, too. Like the scene in Shenandoah on the bridge, he was like that when I got the, the letter was sent home. Yeah, he was like the scene on the bridge with the guy. I don't have. I want you to wait. I want. I'm not going to kill you. But I want you to grow old and have sons of your own. And it was the bridge scene when Dad, you got mad at me for getting that, having that letter sent for buying uh, yeah. cows, the farmer's cows, <laughs> and stealing apples. You know, school sent. Yeah, is is there a performance of his that just rings true to that is Dad? The, uh, the scene in the bar in Harvey and the scene in the bar in It's a Wonderful Life. To me, the most wrenching, and the, and the bridge scene in Shenandoah, the most wrenching performances I've ever seen. Mm. Not yeah. probably because he's my father, but I do think they're one of the best in films. Mm. It's really, really just, they're so real. You know, it's they're just real. gut-wrenching to watch it when he... It's biting on his hand yes. in the bar. Yeah. Just, it yeah. just it gets you in the gut, you know, watching it. Mm. I just, you know, it's so vivid in my mind when I'm talking about it, it's sort of hard not to cry. Mm. So I think he, Henry Fonda said that George Bailey is as close to Jimmy Stewart as you're going to see. Would you agree? Yeah. I, I, and that's that scene there's so much wretching sadness in that scene in the bar yeah. you have to feel it's in the person you know you can't produce that out of thin air it's mm -hmm. not just acting yeah. it's there it's, yeah. so there whether it was from the war that sadness whether it came from the war or something else deep inside it was there when I watch uh, back to It's a Wonderful Life and I see him <clears throat> grab the kids and hug them and kiss oh. them and that's he set an example for me as a parent on how I want to treat my kids when and I come home to them. Real love. Oh yeah. wow. And you know, Such he, joy. That, that part when he said before when you know, before that scene when he was so upset about not fulfilling some dream that he, you know, moving away from the town. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that scene where his daughter's playing the piano and he says, Yep. Yeah. I yeah. saw that once with my son, who was juggling in front of John, and he was juggling and everything. And this was, you know, Dad was quite elderly at that time. John was about seven or six, and 
he said, could you, could you just stop that? And I remember the look of dis- disappointment on John's face. It killed me. Oh, yeah. But it was the same, you know, I think Dad was very depressed then. Yeah. And it was the, the same exact feeling I got when he said that to the little daughter. I just started sobbing that, that part in the movie. Right. Yeah. I mean, even though that hadn't happened yet. Yeah. It always got me as a scene in the movie, and then I saw it repeated. In life, you could uh, sense Dad's, you know, oh, frustration, yeah. depression. That you know, he wasn't acting anymore. And he said, "Actors don't, you know, they don't quit; they die. They don't retire; they die." Mm. And that's what, that's what really, you know, Dad felt. I mean, he, you know, and after Mom died, he just really gave up. Mm. He, he could have done so much, you know, coached acting, taught, you know, look at. People who were, you know, 90, he, he, he wasn't, there was nothing wrong with that physically. Except for mentally, he just was so depressed he was never treated. You know, in those days, it was witch doctors, um, you know, who mm. to go see a psychiatrist in dad's mm. mind. Yeah. So he was never really treated, except by, you know, a family doctor. So. Now, brief interruption here, and then we're almost done. Judy got a phone call at this point, so we paused for a moment. Here's the last part of our conversation where she was answering a question about who her dad was. A combination of a hero because of the war and a combination of a talented actor who people adored and he was everybody's father. We shared him with the world. Yes. Which is why we would call him the urban legend because he wasn't just ours. I always got the sense that it was a gift that we had him but a lot of other people thought of him as their father. We, we heard a lot of that this weekend. Uh, he, people he, said that's what that's why they were drawn to him. He reminded them of the best parts of their father or their grandfather. Ex- yeah. Or, the, yeah. Or, or what they wanted, that what they pictured father to be. Yeah. Or wanted their yes. father to be. Because it's an ideal. Dad was an ideal because he was so original. And it, it's... It's original in your mind, like it's what fatherhood, a person is, um, an ideal of what a person is supposed to be. All of that wrapped into dad. Yeah, loving and And tough and kind. But I never got the sense of something I had to live up to. All, you know, he never let, he never made me feel that. Mm -hmm. I felt it just because I, you know, lack of self-confidence. I mean, you know, because I didn't think I could, acting, in, in other words, to go into acting, I didn't feel like I had the, um, the stuff in me to, to perform, to, to live up to death type of performance, not because he made me feel that. It's just the way I felt. Because hmm. he was just really, really, really good person, besides being a good father. Was he a dad, because a lot of dads from that generation just didn't verbalize their feelings, was he someone to say that he loved you? Yes. He said, I love you all the time. Your mother, too? Yes. And they were great huggers. I mean, when we got back from a trip from Africa or school or anything, huge hugs. Just real, all our family was really good huggers. That's great. Yeah, it's Kelly's one of the best. Yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> That's great. We hope to talk to her sometime. Oh, you, yeah, you That'd do. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Thank you. This was yes. a really easy interview. Yeah, uh, it's been the best. A really big thanks to Judy Stewart, who was incredibly gracious with her time. And again, a lot of fun. Now, a brief housekeeping note. I later found that reference about Jimmy possibly suffering hearing loss from diving in to save Clarence and It's a Wonderful Life, not to be confused with George Bailey losing his hearing, I know. But it's referenced in the book Jimmy Stewart, A Biography by Mark Elliott. Um, I'm not buying it. I think Judy's right. The war definitely would have played a part in, in his hearing loss. Thank you for listening. As mentioned, stick around in a moment for a quick snippet which may include your new favorite Jimmy Stewart quote. I hope you'll plan your own visit to the Jimmy Stewart Museum soon. Keep a watch out at jimmy.org for the latest news and future podcast episodes. See you soon.
that was Bo, that picture of Bo. This is yeah. us with Dad. You know, Dad's, oh, that's me, and that's Kelly playing the accordion. This is me taking pictures of a picture. Which yeah, is why, right. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that's how I got these shots. Oh, here's Mom. Here's a really good picture of Mom. <laughs> she was like that. She was so wonderful. That's, I love that. That's Mom in Africa. Look oh, at those wow. legs. I mean, and Dad would, would say, I'm a leg man myself. <laughs>